You may be seated. Well, good morning. <clears throat> uh, perhaps many of you don't know that um, most of the churches in the Chicago area are a week behind us. And I think I realized why Nate shifted. He wanted to avoid this topic as much as possible since this happens to be a very difficult question. Last week was harder, he says. Uh, so, uh, is Christianity too narrow? I do want to thank Nate for uh, affording me the opportunity to speak with you this morning on this topic. Um, it is a, is a tricky one, and one in which seems there could be multiple answers depending upon what someone means. And so we're going to delve into that this morning. Uh, if you're just joining us this week, uh, over the past three weeks, we've been looking at some of the deep questions of life. Uh, for example, does life have a purpose or meaning? Does God exist? Or last week, why does God allow evil and suffering? <clears throat> and so today, we now address whether Christianity is too narrow. In reflecting upon this question, it struck me as having a couple different meanings. First, what does the questioner mean by narrow? And second, what does the questioner mean by too? For example, is Christianity too uh, narrow-minded? Or maybe Christianity is too narrow in that it's supposedly only for those holy people, but not me. Answers to what narrow and two mean will perhaps entail a different conclusion, a different answer to the question. For my message this morning, I suspect that the person who might be asking this question uh, is someone who is sympathetic to a position called religious pluralism. Religious pluralism. Religious pluralism is the belief that there are many religions or even all religions lead to God or really more properly stated, that all religions lead to salvation. In the context of that issue, that is religious pluralism, asking whether Christianity is too narrow means to ask whether the claims of Christianity can accommodate the notion that other religions lead to salvation. I want to consider three points this morning, very typical of a sermon, uh, to help us understand the question. Three points just to help us understand the question. The nature of truth, the futility of relativism, and the human condition. Again, those three points. The nature of truth, the futility of relativism, and the human condition. Last weekend and throughout this week, the media, which in this case includes the gamut of political biases, was in a frenzy over the proper way to interpret a confrontation between a 16-year-old boy wearing a Make America Great Again hat and a Native American Armed Forces veteran. Initial reports came out quickly and strongly condemning the boy for his, to use a term from George Orwell, face crime. But upon the release of videos which provide a greater and fuller context to the incident, it became apparent that the boy was not as guilty as perhaps it seemed. And this was the case, again, for both liberals and conservatives. Everyone failed on this. Regardless of one's political conviction of the incident, this exercise made something clear. Most people still care about the truth. And that's good news. Most people still care about the truth, at least when it pertains to damaging their own reputation. 
Retractions of articles were submitted. Tweets were entirely deleted. People wanted to forget that they ever made false accusations against this 16-year-old boy. This morning, I want to go through a number of statements with you or propositions that are true. Statement number one, something is true if it corresponds to reality. So here are some statements uh, we can make that are either true or false. Number one, Nate Hickox is the senior pastor of Faith Covenant Church. That statement is either true or false. Two plus two equals four. Or, it is wrong to torture babies for fun. That's either true or false. Here are some other ones. The White Sox won the Stanley Cup last year. That's either true or false. Uh, I attended Azusa Pacific University. Or grass is purple. All right, the first set of three were true statements. The second set uh, were false statements. These are descriptive statements that are either true or false. Now, religious pluralism is founded upon what's called a nihilistic view of religion. Nihilism, or that is, uh, that it posits we can't have any knowledge of the truth value of religious beliefs. We can't know what the truth is. So we can't really know if Islam, Hinduism, or Christianity is true. Yet, we see some social good with organized religion, so let's just do whatever makes you happy. Who are we to judge other religions, the religious pluralist might say. One of the biggest problems for the religious pluralist is that Christianity is not merely a way of life, like Buddhism is. Christianity includes statements of historical value, that Jesus of Nazareth was a historical figure, that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and that, as a matter of history, he, he, he uh, was crucified under Pontius Pilate and physically rose from the dead. Not just a spiritual or figurative resurrection. We Christians believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus. Interestingly, uh, interestingly enough, the Apostle Paul writes of the falsifiability, that's a big word, falsifiability of Christian belief in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Jesus from the dead. Thus, if religious pluralism were true, that is, if we could not know if Christianity were true, then Christianity should be abandoned according to Paul's teaching. Thus, religious pluralism, with regard to the nature of truth, proves to be self-defeating. It doesn't make sense. It wouldn't work, right? Again, if religious pluralism were true, and that we couldn't really know the truth value, what Paul says is we should abandon the faith. Now, the Berean Jews searched the scriptures themselves to see if what Paul was telling them was true. They cared about the truth because they knew what it meant for their lives. Truth is not only about facts of the world, like whether grass is purple, uh, but it's about how we should live. I think 1 John says it best, chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 
If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The Greek word for practice there is poiomen, which is literally make or do. The smoother translation might be to practice the truth, or in other translations, live according to the truth. But the literal translation would be, do the truth. You do the truth. The Apostle Paul writes that there are some people in our world who exchange the truth about God for a lie, and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And also that there are those who fall prey to wicked deception, for those perishing because they refused to love the truth. Christians are not immune from this either. Peter writes, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. You see, the truth is intricately related to behavior. A rightly ordered belief affects rightly ordered practice. Given the nature of truth, we have an obligation to pursue it, pursue the truth, discover it, and act accordingly. The futility of relativism. It seems like a nice idea that all religions are supposed to be equally true. But who are we to make an evaluation upon another person's private beliefs about, oh, only the most important matters in life itself? Religious pluralism is relativistic in its application. Oprah encourages us to speak your truth. Since we cannot know what is really true, all we can do is really just share our perspective, our own truth, our own version of truth. As an aside, I think many of us can recognize the mendacity of this statement. Christian perspectives in our society, again, just Christian perspectives in our society, at least in the cultural powerhouses, are dismissed, they are denigrated, and even targeted. I can think of Jack Phillips, which it's been indicated he's been specifically targeted time and time again, the uh, baker in Colorado. So apparently it's everybody else who can share their truth, except for the Christians. And this is a problem today, and it will continue to be a problem. In its application, religious pluralism finds its futility. To claim that many religions lead to God is to make a self-contradictory statement. A self-contradictory statement is a statement that, if true, would be false. All right, A self-contradictory statement is a statement that, if true, would be false. Let me give you a couple examples. There are no sentences in English. There are no sentences in English. Or how about this one? This sentence only has five words. <laughs> Likewise, all religions lead to God is self-contradictory. First, it contradicts its nihilistic foundation. It makes a truth claim about religion. 
Second, the differences between religions are so fundamental to their core that they cannot all be true. For example, Islam proposes that God cannot take upon human flesh, that Jesus was merely a prophet, and that he never even died on the cross. Whereas Christians propose that God does assume a human body, that Jesus is the Savior, and that he not only died on the cross, but was resurrected. This leads me to the second statement, statement number two. Something may be true, even if nobody believes it. Both the Muslim and the Christian could be wrong, but they cannot both be right. In logic, this is what's called the law of contraries. It could be the case that nobody on planet Earth has the correct view of the divine realm. We all could be wrong. Every human on planet Earth could be wrong. But just because nobody believes in some truth, that does not mean that the truth proposition is not true. It still is true, even if nobody believes it. If nobody believed that Rick Wolf was a psychiatrist, does that make it false? If Christianity were true and nobody believed it to be true, would that make it false? Not at all. Now let us consider uh, the human condition here. The religious pluralist who worries that Christianity is too narrow fails to adequately understand the human condition. Christianity is not merely another way of life among alternatives. Jesus Christ is the way of life. In fact, before the followers of Jesus were called Christians, first at Antioch, they were referred to as followers of the way. The reason why Jesus is the way and not a way is because he is the Messiah who has come to save his people because they cannot save themselves. We humans were dead in our trespasses, and both Jew and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. We have all fallen short of honoring God with our lives, and we continue to do so. All of us have become like one who is unclean, according to Isaiah, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. It's not exactly a good picture of humanity, is it? If religious pluralism were true, how do we know it's not the blind leading the blind, as Jesus teaches in Matthew 15? The scripture tells us there are two types of people. There are those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, and that God will give this person eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. The Berean Jews were of noble character who had great eagerness to learn the good news and to take great care in ensuring that it was true. But there were also Jews from Thessalonica who were so bothered by Paul's preaching that they traveled 45 miles, which was a long distance back then, uh, just to cause strife, to stir up and agitate the crowds. So much so that, that Paul and Silas's lives were at risk, right? If you heard carefully in the story, they had to leave at night. Statement number three, something may be true even if someone does not want it to be. And that's really what this is about. It's about the will. There are some people who know what would be required of them if they had to confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord. 
Thomas Nagel, professor of philosophy and law at New York University, wrote in his 1997 uh, book, The Last Word, in speaking of the fear of religion, I don't mean to refer to the entirely reasonable hostility towards certain established religions and religious institutions. In virtue of their objectionable moral doctrines, he says, social policies and political influence. Nor am I referring to the association of many religious beliefs with superstition and the acceptance of evident empirical falsehoods. I'm talking about something much deeper, namely the fear of religion itself. I speak from experience. Being strongly subject to this fear myself, I want atheism to be true, he writes, and am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. He wants atheism to be true. You see, some people don't want God to exist. Some people don't want Christianity to be true. And some people don't want Christianity to be too narrow. The nature of truth the futility of relativism, and the human condition help us to understand this question now. Is Christianity too narrow? The answer to the question is thus. Yes, for the religious pluralist, Christianity is too narrow. But we don't have good reason for thinking that religious pluralism is true. And in fact, Christianity is so narrow that it happens to be the only available option for us which fully corresponds to truth and provides the remedy for the human condition. And this is great news. If a doctor gives you a terminal diagnosis, we may not want that news, but it is still true. And yet, if a doctor gives you a prescription for your diagnosis, why would we object to her and say, oh, that's too narrow for me? The fact is, the narrowness of the prescription is not the problem. It's the human condition that's the problem. The fourth century church father, Athanasius of Alexandria, wrote, When a man had once been made, and the necessity demanded a cure, not for things that were not, but for things that had come to be, it was naturally consequent that the physician and savior should appear in what had come to be in order also to cure the things that were. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Messiah. Statement number four. Jesus offers salvation to those who repent and believe. It's perhaps the most famous verse in the entire Bible. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John continues on, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Today, Christ rightly demands your allegiance to his lordship. Will you be like the Jews from Thessalonica and cause rebellion? Or will you be like the Berean Jews who were of noble character? Will you receive the gospel with great eagerness and examine the scriptures to see its truthfulness? And will you act upon that belief? Jesus invites you into the life of his kingdom. Enter through the narrow gate, he says, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction 
and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. If you want to learn more about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, I want to invite you to uh, come and speak with Pastor Nate or myself after the service, or to stick around further for our community groups. The Explore God series is a wonderful opportunity to consider the deep questions of life and to test the veracity of the good news. And I want to invite you to come back next week as we consider a very important question, is Jesus really God? Thank you. Before offering, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And as a, before I pray, let's just take about 30 seconds and just be silent and meditate and go before the Lord's presence. Let's pray. Oh God, we come into your presence this morning in awe of who you are and in gratitude of what you have done. Oh God, we thank you that you did not leave your world to run just on its own. You did not just set things up and just let it continue, but no, Lord, you'd, you came for us. You revealed yourself to us. And Lord, you came so close to even take upon human flesh by becoming one of us and knowing our sorrows, knowing our pain and suffering for our salvation. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, would die for me? Lord, we are thankful for your salvation. We are thankful for your, redemp your redemption, your deliverance, that you being the King of kings, you being the Lord of lords, would care for people like us and love us and redeem us and save us. God, we are so thankful. And Father, we come this morning confessing our sins, confessing the ways that we have fallen. For those of us who are in Christ, we, we confess that we have not always made the truth attractive. Lord, by, by our sins, by our hypocrisy, by our lukewarm faith, we have not made your truth attractive to those who are seeking it. We have, we have failed time and time again. We confess and ask for forgiveness. Or we confess that we have not always been willing to share the truth. That we have not always been willing to share the good news and to tell people about your son. We confess that we have often been silent about issues in our world when we should have spoken up and shared the truth. Forgive us, O oh God. Lord, we confess that we have often been worried about our own agendas, our own, our own timelines, our own needs, both in the church and in our own lives. And we have not pursued loving our neighbors, loving our enemies, doing good deeds, doing the work of the kingdom. Lord, forgive us for all of our sins and our failures and help us to be people who represent the truth well. 
with our love, with our good deeds, with our compassion. Oh Lord, make us such people. And Father, we come giving thanks for your world and what you're doing in the world. We do thank you that you have sent the Redeemer, and we pray that this good news would go forth into all the world. Lord, we pray for, especially for Jared and Hannah Baker, who, who were with us last week. God, we thank you that the covenant and, the, and this and Jared and Hannah, that they're making new inroads into the Middle East, all to share the good news of your son. Oh Lord, we pray that you would protect them from persecution, that you would strengthen them, that you would give them, uh, Lord, your Holy Spirit's wisdom and discernment, Lord, as they meet people and share the gospel. Lord, give them success in their ministry. Lord, we pray for your church all around the globe who is doing your work. And we pray that you would transform us with holiness and unity that we might represent you well. And Father, we don't pray for, only for our own selves. We also pray for all those in authority. Lord, you know the mess that our government has been in lately. Lord, we know that the government is back up and running, but it may get shut down again. And Lord, we just pray for those in authority as you, as you command us to do asking that you would give them wisdom, understanding, that people from different opinions and parties would work together so that justice and righteousness would be pursued. And Father, we pray for our church. We pray for Faith Covenant Church. God, we thank you for this opportunity for the Tiger Breakfast. Father, we pray that you would use it to reach high school students, that they would see the light and love of Jesus in us as we share food, as we share relationship with them. Help us to be a light, Lord, in our community. And Father, we pray for those in our church who need your healing touch. Lord, we pray for John Dinkle as he recovers in the Johnson Center at Windsor Park. We pray that you would bring healing to him. We continue to pray for healing for Kathy, for Nancy Reed, for Nancy Nyquist. We pray that your healing touch would wash over them, Lord, and they would experience your comforting presence. Lord, we pray for Sharon, for Pat, for Garrett, for Cherish and Jason Goldman as they grieve losing Elaine Barnes. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would so be close to them that they would know that your presence is there and they would experience your comfort. God, we thank you that you are with us in all our sorrows and troubles as we talked about last week. We thank you that no, no matter what, you never abandon us, you never leave us, and your love is always there. We thank you and praise you for that. And Lord, as a community, we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This time we're continuing our worship response to God through our giving, uh, and I want to remind you to turn in your connection cards as the uh, plate passes by, and uh, let's have the choir give us our offertory this morning.
let us stand and sing the doxology as we dedicate this morning's offering. God, we do praise you for all the blessings that flow into our lives. We recognize that you are our good Father, and from your hand, everything good in our lives, every blessing flows from you and your throne. So Lord, we return these gifts with thanksgiving, with gratitude for who you are and what you have done. May you bless these gifts for the furtherance of your kingdom and the ministry of this church. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please remain standing and join us for our song of sending living hope. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is boundless grace. The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me Came the morning. 
that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. 